Uh, one of the things you may, uh, about me, I, I love sports. I've always been a, a sports fan. I recognize it's not true for everybody, but, but a lot of people, they love sports because it offers so much. It captures people's attention. Obviously, in sports, you know, oftentimes the stakes are high. Oftentimes, the outcome is uncertain. You don't know what's going to happen. Uh, sports gives people a sense of belonging. They feel like they can belong to something bigger than themselves. There's a connection to the wider world. I love this because when you're wearing your Seahawks shirt, you see somebody else with a Seahawks shirt, you're like, we're friends. We don't know each other, but we've got this uh, connection. Uh, again, one of the other reasons people love sports, uh, sports is we love stories. And there's always these great stories that come out of sports. You hear about the underdog, you know, who rises up and, and overcomes uh, out of the chaos. Uh, it's great. Stor sports are amazing. In fact, there's a sports story about a guy by, the name, by a guy about a guy by the name of Lionel Messi. He is uh, one of the greatest soccer players to to ever play. Uh, one of the things about Lionel Messi is so fascinating, though, is he uh, became a professional soccer player at 17 years old for the Barcelona Football Club. Now, this is a uh, this is a teenage boy who got elevated to playing like the highest level of professional soccer. And you're kind of like, whoa, that's crazy to think about this 17-year-old boy playing against grown men. And, and, and Messi played 25 games that first year, 25 games, and just was remarkable. He was amazing. And at the end of the season, one of the, the media people, they, they asked Lionel Messi, they said, how does it feel to be an overnight sensation? You know, like you are just a seven, an Overnight, you're all of a sudden this sensation. And this is what Lionel Messi said. Uh, he said, overnight success? It actually took me 17 years, 114 days to become this overnight success. Like what he was saying was, I'm not this overnight success. My success was a result of years of hard work and practice and drills and a lot of soccer playing to get me to the spot that I'm at today. Sometimes we look at people's success and we kind of were like, well, of course, you know, I wish I would get lucky like that person. We think Lionel Messi, well, he's just in the right place at the right time. And, and we look at somebody's success and we're like, man, I wish I could get lucky like somebody else who's successful. Well, the uh, Roman philosopher Seneca said this. He said, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. Luck happens when preparation meets opportunity. See how those two things work out? Where what we think is luck really becomes this preparation behind the scenes and the opportunity arises and you meet those two things together and all of a sudden there's success. In fact, when we start thinking about the greatest uh, leaders in history, rarely are these leaders uh, great because of luck or because they were in the right place at the right time. 99 out of 100 times, the leaders become great because preparation meets the opportunity. In fact, President Nixon, he learned this lesson from uh, Winston Churchill. There was a time where President Nixon was, was uh, spending time with uh, Winston Churchill's son. And he's talking to Winston Churchill's son. And he said, hey, you know what? What, you, what, you, what I admired about your dad, your dad had this remarkable ability to give these extemporaneous speeches like he would just show up with no notice, no preparation, and Winston Churchill would just show up and have a great speech. You know, you think about Winston Churchill, like, you know, leading through World War II. You got bombs, you got Nazi Germany, you got all these things happening, and, and obviously Winston Churchill was just a great leader through that. 
And uh, Churchill's son said this. He said, yes, I enjoyed watching my dad work for all those hours preparing those extemporaneous speeches. Churchill was prepared so that when the opportunity arose, when he had the chance to do something in the midst of chaos, he was ready. Here's why I brought this up. When we think about what God has for us, we think about what God has for our lives, directions he wants, people he wants us to speak to, things he wants us to do, lives that glorify him. What would it look like for us to actually be prepared? For us to prepare ourselves for the opportunities that God will put in front of us. We've been in the book of Acts for a long time as we watch how the early church uh, took the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's been remarkable. It's been, the book of Acts has been an example for us on how can we be a church that, that impacts everything around us. We want to impact our city. And we want to impact our schools. And the book of Acts is an example of, of how the early church did that. One of our desires is to say, God, how could you use us like that? Now, the beginning of the book of Acts started where there was 120 Christians, 120 believers gathered in this upper room. They're gathered in this upper room, and Jesus shows up to them before he ascends back into heaven. And do you remember what he said to them? He said this. He said, you will be my witnesses. You will testify of me. You will tell the world of my love for them, of what I've done for them. And what's great, because every Christian from that day, we have the same mission. We have the same purpose. We, as Christians, are our purpose, our mission is to be witnesses of Jesus, to tell people what he's done, to testify of that. Well, as we've marched through the book of Acts, obviously we've gotten through uh, uh, a good portion of it. And one of the names that keeps coming up that we've been studying for a long time now is the Apostle Paul. And if you remember in, in Acts chapter 20, uh, Jake preached on this uh, two months ago or so. Uh, Acts chapter 20, Paul said, I am compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. He said, even if I face persecution and chains and opposition, no matter what I face, I'm going to Jerusalem. And why was he going to do that? Because he said, I'm going to Jerusalem to finish the ministry I've received from Jesus. I'm going to Jerusalem to testify to the gospel of grace. That is why I am going. That That is my whole point. I'm going there so I can point to Jesus. Well, last week, we saw... He finally made it to Jerusalem. Makes it to Jerusalem, and he shows up, and and James, who's the pastor of the church there, he says, hey, welcome back, Paul. Now that you're back, we want you to follow this Nazarene vow. We want you to take this Jewish vow to show everybody so you don't offend them and show them that you're a good Jew, and and Paul agrees. And the text that we're in today, a little bit of summary, it's going to go bad for Paul. Paul is going to be falsely accused, He's going to be beaten. He's going to be arrested. (laughs) And I think, Paul, you went to Jerusalem for the purpose of testifying, and you get there and you get beaten and arrested and made fun of and persecuted. And if I'm Paul, I'm not in a spot to testify to Jesus. If I'm Paul, I'm mad. I'm angry. I'm like, I'm going to let you people have it. I'm going to tell you all the bad things you've done to me. This isn't fair. I have my rights. But Paul knew his purpose. Paul prepared himself, prepared his heart. That when the opportunity arose, 
he could testify to the gospel of grace and point to Jesus. And this is going to be an example for us. No matter what chaos we face, no matter whether we are facing opposition or not, Paul is an example to us of the simplest way for us to, to testify to the gospel of grace, to be a witness of Jesus, is simply to share the story of what God has done in our life. So I'm going to start a little bit before, before Jake did this morning. We're going to start uh, Acts 21, verse 27. And it says, when the seven days were almost complete, the Jews from Asia, these are the, the same jerks that caused the riot in uh, Ephesus, Acts chapter 19, they're in Jerusalem for Passover. These, these Jews from Asia, they see Paul in the temple, and they stir up the crowd, and they laid hands on him. And they cry out, people of Jerusalem, help! For this man teaches against the law in the temple. And they say this, he's even brought Greeks into the temple to defy this holy place. Now, one of the things we've seen from Paul's ministry, we've seen this again and again. Paul is the gospel of grace about freedom from, from religion. But Paul, despite having that message, was still always very honoring to the Jewish culture. He had a lot of respect. In fact, you think about Paul's ministry. He brought Timothy along with him. He's like, Timothy, we're going to go and preach the gospel. There's going to be some Jews. You should probably get, uh, have a surgery. You should probably get circumcised. That way you don't cause an offense. Like we saw, we saw Paul twice now. He's taken these, these uh, Jewish Nazarene vows and so, so Paul has been sensitive to the Jewish nation. He's showed honor to them. He's become all things to all people. And so the question is, what would make the Jews from Asia, what would make them think Paul brings these Gentiles into the temple? That's not what you're supposed to do. In verse 29, here's the reason why. That they had seen Paul in the city with a Gentile, and they chose to make their own conclusions. These people had such a hatred for, for Paul that they were blind to the truth. They believed what they wanted to believe. And so they took a lie. They said, hey, we saw Paul with this Gentile. That means since we saw him earlier in the day, they were at Walmart. Now we assume how he probably brought him into the temple too. And they start telling the lie and gather up the crowds, create some hatred, and they're ready to pounce on Paul and kill him. Until verse 31, there was a tribute. This is a, a, a military commander. He hears the riot happening in the temple with all these people pouncing on Paul. And so this military commander, he grabs a bunch of soldiers and they go down into the middle of this riot. And they're like, what's going on? And they find Paul and they're like, Paul must be the reason why all this riot's happening. So they arrest Paul and the tribune and the soldiers are trying to ask, hey, what's going on? What's, what's happening? Why is this riot in verse 34, it says the crowds were, were speaking over one another. They're all angered. They're like, hey, he did this, and he did that, and they're just yelling, and there's just, there's just chaos. There's chaos. And so the military commander's like, well, we're going to take Paul back to the barracks where he is safe, right? Safe from the crowds. Again, if you can picture this, this is all about chaos. And this chaos is a, is, is a result of control. These Jews did not want to give up control of their lives, didn't want to give control up for their people. And as Paul comes in, as Paul is preaching about freedom in Jesus, talking about freedom from religion, these Jews are like, no, we want our control. We're going to do whatever we can to 
control the situation by spreading rumors, by creating chaos, as long as Paul doesn't keep preaching about this freedom, doesn't keep preaching about this Jesus. They want him to be silenced. So verse 37, it says, Paul was about to be brought to the barracks. And he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? The tribune was like, what, what, what? You know Greek? We thought you were this Egyptian who led a revolt with all these assassins in the wilderness. They're like, hey, we assumed there was another rumor that you were this other bad guy. We assume that's who you are. And Paul says, verse 39, no, I'm, I'm a Jew from Tarsus of Cilicia. And I beg you, permit me to speak to the crowd. Again, I'm like, okay, Paul, Paul, think about this, right? Think about this, Paul. Paul, they're about to take you to the barracks. And you're going to be safe from the crowds. You've got, you've got a couple hundred soldiers to, to guard you and to keep you safe. Like, like, Paul, just hold up a second. Don't speak. And Paul's like, nope, I want to say something. He says, can I speak to the crowd? And here's, here's our big setup, right? We've got this chaos happening all around. All these bad things happening. And Paul is going to take this opportunity to try and speak a word of clarity. He's going to speak to the crowds. What's he going to say? You going to be angry? I would. I mean, I've been mistreated. I've had lies told about me. I've been beaten. I've been a rut. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be like, hey, let me tell you a thing or two. What else would Paul say? Well, we know Paul is a theologian, right? Paul wrote Bible. We read Romans and Corinthians and Galatians. and Like Paul wrote that we get our theology, we get our doctrine from the Apostle Paul. I mean, maybe you think, well, if I'm Paul, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to like, hey, let me tell you guys about Jesus. I'm going to give a full defense about Jesus. I will doctrinally and theologically show you why Jesus is better than anything else. But that's not what Paul's about to do. And why is that? Let me ask this. Are we called to be attorneys or witnesses? What does Jesus call us to be? I mean, Matthew 28. Remember what Matthew 28 said. Jesus said, go into all the world and defend me. Go into all the world and convince everybody that my theology is correct. Now, let me just say this. We should defend our faith. That is absolutely, we should be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Yes and amen. But what did Jesus call us and what did Jesus call Paul to do? He called us to testify. He called us to be his witnesses of what Jesus has done of what he is doing in us, what he has done for us, of the hope that lies ahead of us. That's what we're called to do. We're called to be witnesses, to testify of him. We don't have to defend him. We have to tell the story. And so what Paul's about to do applies to every one of us in this room today because we get to hear, we get to hear Paul share his He's showing us. You want to know how to be a witness? Here's how it is done. He shows us how to share who Jesus is, how to share who we are in Christ. 
He shows us simply how to share our story. And where we're going for the rest of this, we're going to look at a very simple pattern on how we can share our story and witness towards Jesus. And I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter if you're in this room and you're like, well, I'm an introvert. <laughs> I'm an extrovert. doesn't matter if you've been following Jesus for 40 years or, or, or four days. doesn't matter if you are older or you're a teenager. This pattern is a very simple way for us to share our faith, to be witnesses of Jesus, to share our story. Steps to sharing our story. The first thing, Paul asks permission, right? Isn't that the first thing Paul did? Paul said, may I speak to the crowd? Can I, can I speak for a moment? You ever ask somebody, hey, can I share what God's done in my life? And you, have, has anybody ever told you no? I mean, that's something that, that, that rarely, if ever, will ever happen. Hey, can I, can I share what God has done in my life? Can I share what God has done for my kids? Can I share what God has done in my marriage? Can I share how I overcame some issues? Like, like, has anybody actually ever said no? No. No, it's so simple. Hey, can I ask permission to share something with you? That's the first step, ask permission. Second step is to be gentle and respectful. It says, Acts 22, verse 1, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, hear the defense I make before you. This term, brothers and sisters, was a, a unique term in the Jewish culture. This was, this was Paul saying, I want to give honor and respect. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to come in angry. I'm not going to come in hateful. I'm not going to come in with my defense voice to tell you why I'm right. No, Paul comes in Gentle, respectful, trying to, to gain some, some credibility. He removes barriers. Verse 2, it says, When they heard me, when they heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew, he became even more quiet. Now, Paul speaks multiple languages. We just saw Paul speak to the, to the military commander. He was speaking in Greek. And now... Paul's not speaking in Greek like he did to the Romans. He's speaking in a dialect that the people will understand. Remember, we read last week that Paul said, to the Jew I became a Jew, to the weak I became the weak. I became all things to all people. Why? So I can, can have an impact on their faith. Paul, as he gets ready to share his story, he's like, hey, what barriers can I remove? If language is an issue, I won't use a language. I'll speak in a language everybody understands. I want to meet you on your level. Number one, he asks permission. Number two, he's respectful and, and gentle. Number three, he removes barriers. Number four, he finds common ground. Look what he says in verse three. I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia. I was brought up in this city and educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict law of our fathers. I was zealous for God as all of you are this day. He's, he's, he's trying to connect with them. In verse 4, it says, I persecuted the way. I persecuted the church to the death, binding and delivering them to prison, both men and women. Paul's finding common ground. He's saying, I am like you. I'm like you. I was, I was a Jew. I, I educated from Gamaliel. He's one of the great Jewish rabbis. I learned from him. Paul's saying, listen, guys, I'm like you. I grew up like you. I went to the same schools as you. 
I wanted the same thing in life as you. I had the same motives and the same purposes. He's trying to find a connection point between his story and theirs. Look, I, I understand where you're at. I was there as well. He's finding that common ground. He gets that foundation set, and now he's ready to share what God has done in his life. That's the next step. It's actually share what God has done. Now, we read this story. We studied this in Acts chapter 9. This is when it took place. Paul's repeating it here. He's going to repeat it again in a couple chapters in Acts chapter 26. Paul, essentially, his story is this. He says, I was on my way to Damascus. I was on my way to Damascus because I was going to persecute the Christians. I was going to arrest them and cause all this trouble. Until verse 6 says, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That was Paul's given name, Saul. So Paul answers and says, who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Paul's like, what is going on? I'm going on my way to, to persecute these Christians. And this voice speaks. And this light comes. And I, the Lord said to me, rise and go to, verse 10, rise and go to Damascus. And there you will hold all that is appointed to you to do. Verse 12. Ananias, devout man according to the law, well spoken of by the Jews. Again, he's looking for this common ground. He's saying, hey, there's this guy who is just like you guys, Ananias. And he came to Peter. Or he, excuse me, he came to Paul. And he said, verse 14, the God of our fathers has appointed you, Paul, to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for everyone of what you have seen and what you have heard. Paul says, man, this is my story. This is where I was. This is the way I lived. And then Jesus showed up and changed my life completely. Like, I don't know why sometimes we, in the church, we kind of get this idea that if we're going to share our faith, if we're going to share the gospel, that we have to be eloquent. We have to have all the answers to all the questions. We have to have all the theology just correct. Do you realize that's not true? Like Paul has gone to Jerusalem for the specific purpose to testify to the gospel of grace. And what does he do? I don't see a sermon. I don't see a theological course. I don't see him answering all the questions that people are asking. All I see him doing is sharing his story of how the gospel has taken shape in his life. Do you realize that your story, your faith story, of God working in your life is the most powerful weapon that you have to tell the world about Jesus. That is the most powerful thing we have to tell the world about Jesus is here's where I was, here's how Jesus has changed my life. Here's the difference he makes. Because you know what? Man, people can argue. They can argue about your doctrine. They can argue about your theology. They can argue about all sorts of things, but guess what they can't argue about? They can't argue about your story because it's your story. It's your experience. It is so simple, yet it is so powerful. If we would just be vocal about, here's what God has done in my life. Here's how he's changed me. One more step to sharing the gospel. 
is you got to trust the results are in God's hand. The rest of the story says, verse 17, takes place a few years later. He says, I was in the temple praying, and I fell into a trance, and Jesus spoke and said, hey, Paul, you got to leave Jerusalem. you got to leave Jerusalem because they're not going to accept your testimony about me. And at this point, we're like, notice the, the crowd is listening. Like up to this point, the, the crowd, all these people that were so mad at, at Paul, that wanted to kill him, they're listening to every word he has shared. Like, do you realize that? Like the crowd is listening. They're, 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 they're engaging. And Paul's probably like, man, some of these people might become Christians. This is awesome. Until we get to verse 21. And that's when they lose it. Verse 21, Paul says, God said to me, go, and I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The Jews had such a great hatred for the Gentiles. Verse 22 says, up to this word, they listened, and then they raised their voice and said, away with such a fellow, he should not be allowed to live. For the Jews, they're like, hey, (laughs) I can believe that God called you to Jesus. Like, I can track with that. I can believe that God has changed your life. I can track with that. But for God to call you to the Gentiles, to the people we hate, that's treason. That's like, that's like, that would be like, I don't know, it would be like Bill Belichick getting fired from the Patriots and going working for the Falcons. I think that's going to happen. Isn't it terrible? Like that's, that's a treason, like beyond you can imagine. Like that's not supposed to happen. These guys, they hate non-Jews more than anything. And so Paul going to the Gentiles, man, this is the greatest treason and slap in their face that they could ever imagine. And so because of that, despite all that Paul had said, they reject Paul, reject his message, and they want him dead. Here's where I don't want us to miss the point of the story. Paul knew exactly why he was going to Jerusalem. He had a single purpose in mind. His mind and heart were set. I'm going to witness to the gospel of grace. I'm going to testify to Jesus. In the middle of the chaos of all the people gathering around him, persecuting him, beating him, him being arrested, he was prepared. He was prepared. When the opportunity presents itself, and how does he share? How does he testify? something that all of us can do, which is simply shares his faith story. In fact, here's our summary for this message, that sharing our faith story is the simplest, and not just the simplest, it's also the most effective way for us to be a witness of Jesus. Like we have someone in our life, man, this person, they don't know God, they're, they're walking far from him the most simple and effective way for us to tell them about Jesus is simply to tell what Jesus has done in our lives. Let's not make it more difficult than it needs to be. We want to make a difference in our family, in our neighborhood, in our schools, in our workplace. Can we simply talk about what God has done in our lives? Application, two points, and then we'll be done. Number one, the question is, will you be prepared to share your story? 1 Peter 3.15, it says, As you regard Christ the Lord as holy, be ready at any time to give a defense for anyone who asks a reason for the hope that you have within you. 
Be ready. Be prepared. Again, if we're going to be effective witnesses, if we're going to see Jesus change our city, you know what it requires? It requires us to be prepared when the opportunity presents itself. Be prepared to share your story. I think one of the things that, that, that we've tried to emphasize a few times here at Restoration is, are you actually prepared to share your story? Have you ever sat down and thought, man, what is my faith story? Succinctly and short and brief that I can just share, here's what God has done. We've got some prompts that we'd love for you to think about, ways for you to understand, like, hey, here's how you can share your story. And here's what I'm asking you to do. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Take a few minutes this week and just write these things down. Go to that next slide, please. Take a few minutes and just write it out. Write out, hey, number one, what was my life before Jesus? What were my struggles? What were my questions? What were my doubts? What were the longings of my heart that I couldn't find fulfilled? Like, what was your life before Jesus? Take a minute, fill out a paragraph or two. Number two, how did you encounter Jesus? How did you come to know about Jesus? Who told you about him? What, what led you to, to step into that church that first time or to, to say, okay, I'm willing to give this Jesus thing a shot? Like, what led you to that point? Number three, how has God changed your life? How has God maybe solved your struggles? Maybe he settled your longings? Maybe he's given you a hope for something more than this world could offer? Listen, it's dumb, but it is so simple and powerful for you to take the time to write it out. To say, man, I want to be clear as to what my story is in a succinct way. Because guess what? That is how you're going to be prepared. Because when the opportunity comes and you're like, I, I don't know what to say. Be prepared. Have it written out so your mind has already got it thought through. Hey, here's how these things connect. Here's how I can share what God has done in my life. This is us being prepared. Now, some of you... <laughs> Some of you are saying, well, pastor, that's great, but my story, kind of a boring story, right? Like, pastor, like, I grew up in a Christian home, and I had a Christian family, and I became a Christian at a young age, and my story is, you know, it's pretty boring. <laughs> have you think that way? Let me say this. When you meet people that have the crazy story, when you meet people who are like, yeah, like I was in prison and I did all these bad things and I faced some really hard things, I tell you what, almost every one of those people, they wish they could trade you their story. They wish their story was simple and easy like yours. It's awesome to see how God redeems brokenness and pain and regret, but those people would trade your story in a heartbeat. And I'll be honest, as I think about the things I've been through in my life, you know what I want for my kids? I don't want them to have my story. I want them to have that easy story. Man, I found Jesus and I followed him my whole life. I don't want them to have the heartache and, and the regret that I've carried with me. But as you think, well, my story is pretty generic. It's pretty bland. It's pretty vanilla. Vanilla is bland. Can I say that? That's probably like a, a, a bad thing to say to some people. Vanilla is bland, all right? All right, sorry about that. <laughs> when you think about your story, like just have some transparency in it. Have some honesty. Don't, don't whitewash it. Don't make it better than it needs to be. Again, we're, we're a church and we talk about we're a place that values progress rather than perfection. You know what that means? That means you can be honest with 
yeah, I have some bitterness towards some other people, and God's helped me through it. Yeah, I'm judgmental towards those that have not had a good Christian life, and God's helped me through that. Like, have some transparency in your story. Here are some things I struggled with. It doesn't have to be this perfect bow where everything was happily ever after. But you can share, listen, here's how God has helped me through some storms. Here's how God has helped me through depression and anxiety and some hardships and some different things. Number one, be prepared to share your story. Number two, look for opportunities to share. Look for those opportunities that God is going to put in your path to share. When are you supposed to share your story? What do the opportunities look like? Well, look at Paul. Paul's there, and what's happening around him? I mean, we said it was chaos. Paul looks at the chaos and says, listen, there's chaos happening all around me. This is a perfect time for me to share my faith, to share how Jesus brings peace. See, when you are in these circles and you start talking to somebody, and they start talking about maybe some, some chaos, some pain, some struggle, some worry, some things, those are the opportunities for you to say, man, this is an opportunity for me share my faith. When people are dealing with difficult stuff, that's the inroad for you. In fact, there's this uh, seminary president, Jeff Eorg, is a president of Golden Gate Theological Seminary. I've shared this a number of times. He says, listen, these are the four things you listen for. You listen to these four things, and they are the inroad for you to share your faith. Four things. Uh, number one, things break, relationships struggle, health fails, people die. If we keep our ears open and we're in a conversation with people and they're like, hey, my, my, my marriage is struggling. Guess what? That's an inroad for you to share your faith. Hey, here's what God has done for us. You talk to someone and they're like, yeah, man, this person's I'm grieving through the loss and, and whatever it happens to be, this is an opportunity for you. Hey, here's how God has ministered to me. Those are the simple ways. Perfect opportunity. How can I share my faith? Listen, here's how God has healed my burden. Here's how God has, has strengthened me to press on. Here's how God has changed my life. Here's how God has changed my family. Here's how God gave me purpose. Here's how God met me in my brokenness. You know how simple this is? We ask permission. We're gentle. We remove barriers. We look for the common ground. And we simply share and this is what God has done in my life. Now, let me throw this caveat out, though. When that opportunity comes, don't stress about the exact words. Like, I'm a guy who speaks for a living. <laughs> I don't say the right words often, right? Right? But I love this because in Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, whenever you're brought before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about what you say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at the very hour what must be said. Yeah, there's this preparation. You need to know your story, and then you trust God. You prepare yourself, and then you trust the Holy Spirit to bring to mind the parts of your story that you need to remember at the moment, and you trust that God is going to do something. But here's what we're asking you to do today. Number one, write out your story. Be prepared. Number two, look for an opportunity to share it. And I'm going to make this weird. I'm going to make this awkward. Okay? So here's what I want you to do today, this week. I want you to write out your story, and I want you to look around this room right now. 
Because again, we think, oh, that's scary to share my story. How would I share my faith? Why don't you do this? Why don't you find someone in this room and share your story with them? Most of us in this room, we're already Christian, right? So it's not like we're gonna get offended. You're gonna tell me about Jesus? No, like this is a safe place. We all have, have met Jesus. And so you think about this, like, like this is, as I get ready to preach, one of the things we do every Thursday is I'm like, hey, here's why I've prepared. I'm gonna practice it. And I sit in a room with Jake and Jake has to listen to me talk about whatever I'm gonna talk about. Because I want to get familiar with it. I want to get comfortable with it. I want it to be not scary the first time. So you think about, man, writing out your, your faith story. Man, here's what, I'd love you to just go and practice it. Find someone in this room. Say, hey, kind of know you. I'd love to share my story with you. And guess what? They're expecting it now because I just told them to expect it. Right? Find someone Say, hey, let's get coffee and let's just share our story together. I'd love to hear yours. You can hear mine. In fact, I'll close with this. Seth Godin, a Christian author, (laughs) he said, marketing is no longer about the stuff that we sell. It's about the stories that we tell. Church, we're not about marketing Jesus. We're not trying to put an ad about how Pepsi is worse than Coca-Cola. But the way that we point Jesus is not some fancy campaign. It's by the stories that we tell. And let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for my family. And God takes that and runs with that. And we begin to see lives transform all around us. This morning, we have the opportunity to respond to God's word through communion. My question is, how do you connect communion to this message? I'm glad you asked. Communion is a reminder of Jesus and his love and grace in our lives. Communion is a reminder that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. and said, this represents my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood that has been shed for you. See, communion is about a story a story of the length that Jesus went to on the cross to show us God's love, to enable us to have a relationship with God. Communion is a picture of the story of the suffering he experienced so we could experience salvation and forgiveness and freedom and healing and purpose and peace. Which I think makes communion today the perfect reminder Because communion is what makes our story worth telling. Because our story isn't about ourselves. It isn't about us overcoming. It isn't about us being great. Our story is about depending on Jesus. He's the hero. He's the center. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. So this morning, I invite you to respond through communion. That as you think about your story, think about that moment you placed your faith in Jesus. What led you to that point? Think about all that he suffered for you to bring you that peace, that healing, that forgiveness, that salvation.